Locked off. Everybody, Pixel Advocate here. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to my Nintendo episode. This episode is going to pick up the story where it left off in the previously released two-parter called We Were Atari Kids. And it's going to have a similar kind of format to that with just a bunch of thoughts and memories and we're going to discuss certain games. Um, just my general experience of, of navigating that world uh, back then. And talk a little bit about games I play now, and just some, you know, fun discussion, so I hope you enjoy it. Uh, this is going to be a bit of a longer episode. It's going to be, you know, roughly double length. I considered doing another two-part one, but I did it all in one shot because uh, I'm not going to be able to record much for the next few weeks. So I figure, well, since there's going to be a small break, I will uh, put a double length one out. Uh, one thing I did decide for some reason to record this outside because it was a nice night. So I had a fire going and and, and things like that. Um, it was seemed like a good idea at the time. In retrospect, when I listened back to it, maybe not the best idea for a podcast, which generally works better in a quiet room. <laughs> but hopefully you don't find the background crackling of the fire and, and that type of outdoor ambience too distracting. Um, and because... Uh, I really don't feel like going back and redoing this. <laughs> so, anyway, hopefully hopefully you'll bear with me here. Anyway, um, as usual, you can hit me up at pixeladvocate at outlook.com for any comments, feedback, questions, hate mail, anything like that. And also on Twitter, at pixeladvocate. So, with all that preamble out of the way, on with the show. The NES was actually out for a while before I ever knew anybody who had one. Um, I think it came out in early 1986 here in Canada, uh, slightly, I think it was late 85 in the US. But it was quite a while before I ever really saw one outside of a store kiosk type thing. Then, in Christmas, around 1988, my cousins got one, and we spent all afternoon at my grandma's house and all evening um, playing Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt and Punch-Out and Urban Champion, which even then we, kind of a joke, uh, we made fun of that game because it's kind of pretty stupid it's just two guys that walk together in the in the middle of the screen and just 
throw punches at each other. It's it's like the the most primitive form of street fighter you could possibly imagine. Um, and every now and then, someone sticks their head out of this building above you and tries to dr- drop a flower pot on your head. I don't know. It was uh, even fresh out of the the basic gaming nature of Atari. That game seemed a little a little uh, weak, let's say. Anyway. So I returned to school after that Christmas break, and uh, the guy that I shared a desk with, he comes in, and like, you know, the usual questions you ask each other. So what did you get for Christmas? What did you get for Christmas? And he got a Nintendo as well. And he listed off a bunch of games that he got. And um, I was starting to feel a little left out on this Nintendo thing at this point, because I just spent Christmas break playing it with my cousins, but I didn't have my own. And then come to school, my friend tells me he got one, and there were others as well. Um, and at the time, we were, as I mentioned in the Atari episode, at this time we were still running on the uh, Atari 7800, which we'd got for Christmas the prior year in 1987. And... It started out really strong for us, and we enjoyed it a lot at first, but by this time, I think it was starting to run a little dry with... Because the games just weren't delivering. Um, they were There were some good ones uh, that I talked about before. Um, the ones that everyone likes, uh, the, the high-quality ones, those are the same ones I like pretty much, Food Fights, Evius, Robotron, some of the good arcade ports... But the list isn't very long, and uh, so we were that coupled with starting to see a whole bunch of NES around. It was starting to make us kind of, you know, want to play catch up and get our own. So begged and pleaded with parents, uh, "We need an NES. We need an NES. Please, please, please." And finally, in May of 1989, for my birthday. I was delighted to receive an NES action set for my parents. Now this is a pretty cool moment. I was looking at some photo albums at my parents not that long ago, and there's this picture in there in uh, in one of the albums from around that time. And it's my brother and I. We're in the front room of my parents' house. I still remember the day. I got the, that was when I got the, the gift that just opened it. I wasn't even out of the box yet. And I, w- I was so stoked that I kind of climbed up on my brother's shoulders and I'm holding the the uh, Nintendo box over my head, like a, almost like a like hockey players hold up the Stanley Cup. It was, uh, <laughs> needless to say, we were a little exuberant at that point. If you hear a little bit of background noise... Um, sorry if that's annoying. I hope it's not too annoying. I'm actually sitting out in my backyard. We recently got a, I don't know what the word would be, like a shelter or a, what's the word I'm looking for? It's basically a shelter built off the back of our house. What do we call it? A sunroom? It's not a sunroom though. It's not enclosed. It's just a, a lean-to. I don't know, but it's attached to the house. It's a sloped roof toward the yard. It goes over the patio. It's a permanent structure. It's shingled on top and everything. And um, 
I'm sitting on some patio furniture. It's a nice soft couch we got back here, and I've got a fire going in the fire pit off to my right. So you might hear a little bit of crackling, and you might also hear some obnoxious motorcycles or cars drive by. Um, I don't live on a too busy of a street, but you do hear some cars from time to time. So on that note, I think it's time to get my beer going here. What do I got? So I've got a Peep Show West Coast IPA brewed in Brantford, Ontario. Bell City Brewing Company. I don't think I've had this one before. But I'm just going to pour that right here. And um, we can start talking a little bit about the NES. Oh, I hope I don't screw this up here and it's going to overflow saved that's not bad not a huge IPA fan I know a lot of people don't like them because they're kind of strong flavored and bitter and you know it's kind of like one of those acquired tastes like black coffee or red wine or scotch or um, dark chocolate stuff like that like I said extremely excited to receive a Nintendo in 1989 uh, we've got the action set like I said so that comes with the Super Mario Brothers Duck Hunt cartridge and the of course the zapper light zapper or whatever it's called I had the grey one not the um ugly orange one and my mom I think she she must have just randomly picked a game off the shelf uh, to go along with the console because we also got Operation Wolf uh, Taito that's a port of the arcade game that was um, <clears throat> or maybe she uh, I'm not sure she might have actually heard my brother and I talking about that game and maybe saw it on the shelf and picked up I don't know I doubt it I think she probably just picked one at random it's a cool, um, cool port. I, it's it's a cool port of a so-so game. Uh, let's put it that way. The the arcade game is as arcade games usually are. It's kind of a lot more bombastic and exciting than the home console version because you have. It's one of those games that has a special controller. In this case, it's a it's like a machine gun that's mounted on the control panel and it uh, swivels around and you move uh, crosshairs around the screen and you're just it's like a shooting gallery but it's got cool sound effects and cool bright graphics and, and things like that so it was it was cool at the time um, and so we were pretty excited to have that as a home version and the NES version actually <clears throat> works with the zapper which was doubly cool for us because the zapper was new to us. Turns out, you know, after having played that game quite a bit, uh, the zapper kind of sucks with that game because you can't hold the trigger down and keep shooting. You got to keep pulling the trigger, click, 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 and then the screen always flashes every time you. Just it's just the way the technology works. The screen has to flash whenever you pull the trigger on the zapper. It gets annoying. Luckily, you can play the game with just the D-pad, and you can move the uh, your little crosshairs around the screen 
which is decidedly a step down from the arcade control scheme, but it, it's a better way to play the home version. Um, another game we got early on was, it might have even been from the same birthday, I can't remember for sure, but it was uh, RC Pro-Am. Now that game, to this day, is, is one of my favorite all-time NES games. Um, I'm sure there's a little bit of nostalgia talk in there, but what a cool game, though. If you, The graphics are, are basic, but they're very effective. It's kind of a, a 3D, or not 3D, but almost like an isometric view where your, your car kind of stays at the center of the screen. And you it's got really fluid controls as you're slipping and sliding around the track, and you can pick up the weapons, and you pick up the letters, and every time you spell Nintendo, your uh, weapon or your your vehicle changes. Um, one thing I thought was weird about that game was the choice of vehicles they give you to drive. Again, it's it's supposed to be remote controlled cars. Um, in the in the first one you start with is like a pickup truck, a weird looking pickup truck, and then you. Uh, and what's the next one? I think it's a, uh, it's like a van, <laughs> and um, which is even weirder. And uh, oh, the third one, geez, it's been so long. Um, I think the third one might finally be some kind of car. But um, why a pickup truck and why a van? I don't know. Hardly matters. The game was really fun. And another thing I always kind of wondered about that game is why why bother with the whole shtick of radio controlled cars I mean how would, if they just would have called the game Pro-Am and made it so you're, you're driving these trucks around the track and you shoot missiles at each other and drop bombs how does that really change the I, I don't know <laughs> it doesn't I guess regardless it doesn't matter um, very fun addictive game spent a lot of hours playing that and that, that's a game I uh, still play every time or uh, every now and then uh, when I'm firing up the emulator or if I'm sitting down and playing the, the, the console, I have a, a copy of that cartridge. top of the, the games that you know you can get for Christmas and your birthday and all that right around that time I don't know about you guys but for me that was when the whole idea of being able to rent video games came about I'd never seen video rentals for Atari 2600 or 7800 I'm not saying they were never existed anywhere in the world I'm saying they certainly never did anywhere around us. And I still remember my mom kind of almost like trying to take credit for the whole idea. Because she was always saying, back in the Atari days, she was always saying, why don't why don't these rental places that are renting you know, videotapes, why, why don't they rent these video games? It just seems like an obvious thing to do. She kept saying that, and then finally NES came around, and suddenly we're renting video games and she goes this is my idea um, she's still waiting for the royalty checks on that idea um, I think they're forthcoming haven't seen them yet but renting was 
definitely a cool option because it was exciting for us when you know we'd get a little bit of extra money. It wouldn't. I didn't cost much. I can't remember what we would have to spend, but you'd, the games would be everywhere. There'd be local corner stores, convenience stores, gas stations. Well, maybe not gas stations, but I know convenience stores, and there were dedicated movie rental places that had entire sections of uh, NES games. And you usually have to go in with your parents the first time to get a membership and probably put down some kind of credit card or something like that before you could rent anything. But after that, just go in, show your card, pay the money, and then you'd have the game for the weekend. Sometimes they'd have specials. You could rent the games for a week for a discount and things like that. Then you'd get the games, and they'd be in those hard plastic clamshell cases. And you'd have like some photocopied manual, or no manual at all. And um, the games would be hit and miss. Like You'd rent one based on the way the cover looked. And then you'd get it home, and sometimes it would completely blow chunks. Other times it would be really cool. I remember renting... Oh, dozens of games. Everything from like Excite Bike to um, the Mega Man, uh, Mega Man Two to um, Super Mario Brothers Three. Sometimes you'd you'd rent a game and you like it enough to justify, okay, I like this game enough that I can I can buy it or I can ask for it for a gift. More accurately, hardly ever bought games for ourselves back then because they. Relative to our means, they were expensive, so always kind of leaning on the parents and grandparents to uh, flesh out the permanent collection as opposed to the rentals and the games you'd borrow from friends and, and whatever. So, yeah, there was... It was... Stepping out of the Atari world, which, like I said entered that world in 1982 or so, and this was all the way up in 1989 when we got the NES. So between 82 and 89, we had the 2600 and 7800, with just the last little segment there being the 7800. And really, the 7800 wasn't too different from the 2600 in a lot of ways. I mean, yeah, it was more powerful, the the graphics were better, you could have more stuff going on on the screen, and you know, obvious things like that, but the the soul of the games was very similar, just very um, arcade style, uh, kind of relying on the, the classics, the tried and true stuff, and um, going to NES was, was a pretty significant leap. Um, just the doors that opened up and the, and the the different experiences that were on tap, let's say, um, the in that controller was, I I don't remember I don't remember it being like a big adjustment or a big change having to go to the NES D-pad style controller. I don't know how it couldn't have been though, because when you look at the 2600 and 7800 and, and arcade controllers, most of the time you'd have, well, not most of the time, all the time on the Atari systems, your your 
moving your character around with your right hand on the stick, and then you're firing with your left hand, and you're doing the inverse with the Nintendo controller. Not only are you doing the inverse, but you're... Your directional controller is completely different. It goes from a stick down to this little cross-shaped thing that you're just kind of rolling your thumb around on it. But it, um, for some reason, I don't remember it ever being a problem. I guess, I guess it is a well-designed controller. Um, a lot of people love it. I, I can talk a little bit more about that later. But um, it, it suffice to say for now, that's it was a big change um, from what we were used to. Um, and those cartridges, why are they so huge? I'm still not really sure. I mean, you look at the uh, the Japanese version of the console, the, um, what's it called? The Famicom. Those cartridges are just, they're what, half the size of the North American NES style cartridges? I gotta believe the innards are probably pretty close to the same thing. I don't know that for a fact. Um probably should know that but I don't but the, I, those cartridges are enormous like talk about wasted plastic I guess uh, I guess I'm too much of a tree hugger to appreciate those enormous cartridges that are going into landfills no they're going into people's collections that's what I tell myself that's cool though they are they do make nice uh, stackable form factor for putting on a shelf and and things like that, so I guess that's cool. And putting them in the consoles like a darn VCR, actually I think that was probably by design. I mean, I've read some of the history on this. I think that the general um, gist of it is that Nintendo in North America was strategically trying to distance themselves from the image of video game console as it was understood at the time because the disaster of the video game crash where um, people just retailers and everything just completely went sour on video games because of the all the shovelware that came out and they couldn't move the uh, inventory and they had to sell it back and it was just this big disaster so some probably in retrospect probably some pretty brilliant marketing on the part of Nintendo where they they knew they had to contend with that uh, stigma, so they thought of creative ways of of getting around that. Um, and I think one of those was calling it Entertainment System, Nintendo Entertainment System, rather than Nintendo Video Console or Nintendo Video Game System, right, or something like that. And they made it look almost like a VCR, where you insert these what might as well have been eight tracks or tapes or something, rather than cartridges, like game cartridges had that mechanism in there and they tried to package it with peripherals like they had Rob the Robot which I never had um, frankly I've only ever seen it on shelves in retro game stores I don't think I've ever actually seen one in action um, It was, I think it was by the time I got into the NES it was kind of passe I don't think it really I mean there were what only a couple games that worked with it and I think that was all Nintendo wanted it to do. They just wanted it to convey the image of being more of a toy or more of like an entertainment system rather than a video game console. And to that extent, it seems to have worked. I mean, if, uh, if history and the sales numbers are any indication, I mean, uh, 
NES was able to kick down those doors and um, basically resuscitate the entire North American home console uh, market. Um, so yeah, there's it's not just the controllers and the, and the cartridges and the, and the and the types of games, but there's just a bunch of different stuff that um, was available for this. It were were all kind of new things, at least at least to me. But I can't think of yeah. I mean, before Nintendo, I think there's other examples of light guns. Um, exactly who was first. Uh, I'm not sure. I know I could go all the way back to the Magnavox Odyssey. I guess they had a primitive version of it, but um, I don't think it became commonplace until the NES popularized it with uh, Duck Hunt. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but that's at least in my experience. Let's put it that way. And for all intents and purposes, there was no such thing as a light gun before Duck Hunt. I know there was, but I you never saw it. I never saw it anywhere. I didn't know anybody who had it. And then there was, like, the, um, the sports game thing. The uh, Power Pad? Yeah, Power Pad, where you... you uh, It has the track and field game where you, you run really fast, you jog on the spot, and you hit these two pads, and then you jump, and it detects your jumping. That sort of thing. All, all neat stuff at the time. There's just no question that the the 7800 for example wasn't able to compete with the NES because the well there are several reasons but if you look strictly at the appeal of the game library you have to be a really really staunch Atari loyalist at the time to look at the Atari 7800 library look at what was available for the NES and say, yeah, I prefer the 7800 library. I mean, even if you don't like a lot of the games that came out on the NES, there were so many of them and they were coming out at such a rapid pace. It was so prolific that even if you only liked one in every ten you're probably still going to find more games you like than that were on the uh, the Atari. And the early NES games, which I didn't experience um, when they were new, but they, I think that what do they call them? The black box games. They were. That was a kind of a subset of. NES library that was kind of an extension of the the uh, what do you want to call it the golden age arcade era so to speak where they were doing arcade style games on the NES they, so those games would be more of a head to head with the the 7800 in, in spirit I would say in my opinion anyway but then so, but those were the the early early games but then it the whole thing changed when um, Super Mario Brothers came out. Um, so it's you kind of take it for granted now, and it's so the whole the idea is so you know well trodden. 
now, but when that game was new, to have like a scrolling platform game where the the screen keeps changing and keeps changing and keeps changing. There's you're exploring and you're finding little secrets and you're seeing all kinds of different enemies coming up and you don't know what's going to happen next. Rather than being on the same fixed screen all the time, it was a it was uh, it was a revelation for a lot of people. And um, the not only those aspects, but then you have the whole paradigm shift of now score doesn't even really matter anymore. Now you're just trying to get to the end. I mean, maybe some people care about score in Super Mario Brothers. I don't remember anybody caring about it back then. And it, it, there is a score in the game, but it it's, might as well just be like an afterthought, right? Because, to be honest, like you, you could tell me all this, uh, with all the times I've played that game, so if someone told me, yeah, my high score in Super Mario Brothers is this, I wouldn't even know if it's a good score or not. I mean... You tell me a score in Donkey Kong, I know if that's a good score. Centipede, I can tell you if that's a good score, or if I think that's a good score. But Super Mario Brothers, not a clue. So that was a that was a big shift because, you know, the popularity of that game, I think, was responsible for a lot of the games that followed, even if they weren't directly copying the ideas of Super Mario Brothers. I think the general concept of bigger worlds and scrolling screens and uh, exploring and uh, non-repeating, um, non-fixed-screen type things, that was just... I guess that's kind of the obvious direction for video games to start moving into because... You know, the hardware was becoming more capable. The single-screen ideas were running their course, and it was just time to, to push the envelope out there, right? The NES is definitely proof, as far as I'm concerned, of the power of having strong developer muscle behind your platform. Like, if you look at the Sega Master System, which was a prime competitor of the NES, in a lot of ways, it's a more powerful piece of hardware. I know there's always ways of, I mean, it's hard to say, make universal statements, but from my understanding, the SMS is pretty much a more powerful piece of hardware than the NES. I mean, you, you can certainly tell... Visually, the, the the graphics it's able to produce are you know more more colors more it just seems more bright and cartoonish. I really like the uh, the look of Sega Master System games, and it um, despite that deficit, because back then I mean graphics were everything, right? Obviously, retro gamers don't think graphics are everything now because. If that were the case, they wouldn't be playing games that are 20, 30, 40 years old. But I think most of us could admit that coming up through that age, um, graphics were paramount. And despite the NES having a slight disadvantage for graphics, 
the it just completely steamrolled the Sega Master System, at least in North America, because of the games. Like just the the develop uh, the developer muscle that was backing that platform was just um, extremely powerful, and uh, the results, I mean, spoke for themselves. I mean, I know part of that was the fact that Nintendo had these, I guess in retrospect, they're kind of controversial licensing arrangements with, with game developers. I don't know all the details of it, but it's something like Nintendo, they would allow you to make games for the for their console, but you had to enter into an agreement where you, in order to get the privilege of making an NES game, you couldn't put the game on a competing console or something to that effect. And I think there was another thing that said you can only make so many games a year. I think the the motivation behind that was to prevent the tendency to just keep shoveling out games like developers did in the uh, Atari 2600 days. And then you had this NES seal of approval. I remember seeing that as a kid, and I, I really never knew what to make of it, because it seemed like, well, hang on, every Nintendo game has the seal of approval, so what does it mean? I thought it was supposed to mean that Nintendo played the game and they thought it was really good. But I was confused by that, because I'd play a whole, a whole bunch of games that were completely garbage, and it still had that seal on it. So I was confused by that. But I think all that meant was it was just, they were games that were proved by Nintendo to be put on the console didn't mean they were good. I don't know, I've always kind of thought that the shift that Nintendo or the NES style games brought to home video gaming, moving away from the, I think it was the final death knell for the the classic arcade style games like the the Pac-Mans and the, and the Dig Dugs and the um Galaga's and in, in, the, in those more basic single-screen arcade-style games, when you know Super Mario Brothers came out, and then it just exploded, and the games became more focused on just getting to the end and exploring and and graphics and um, complexity, uh, reduced emphasis on score. Um, there would be games that would allow you to uh, have a password system so you could continue at a, a certain spot in the game later on. Uh, some games had battery backups that would allow you to save your spot and come back later on. So all these types of things I think are direct precursors, not direct precursors, but you can trace the lineage of video games as we know them now all the way back to NES. So I, I think there is, yeah, certainly there's a big gap between um, Castlevania and... Um, God of War, but I mean, technologically, there's a huge gap there, but I think the Castlevania is, or the games of that era were like the, they were, those were the seeds of what we have now, because you you have those game uh, video game traits that I just talked about kind of fleshed out more and more and more through the years to what we have now. Um, as opposed to being 
you know, the quick score attack type arcade games that came before it. I mean, you still see games like that now, like on, uh, on mobile devices and um, even, you know, indie games and things like that. So it's not it's not a dead art by any means, but um, they are, I think games like that now tend to get labeled as, like, casual games and and that kind of moniker where it's like hardcore games like the real gamers play like Call of Duty and and all these blockbuster multi-billion dollar titles um so it's just interesting to think of that way I don't know if everyone would agree with that I kind of look at it that way though because the the, a lot of the there are parallels And as I started to say earlier, the it wasn't just about the games that separated the NES from the competition. The, the zapper, the that power pad. I remember my friend had that. Um, he it was the same friend I mentioned earlier, where he came to school and mentioned that he got the NES for Christmas. He got that whatever set that was that had the the power pad in it. And uh, so I went over there as soon as I could get over there and really wanted to try that out. I, I remember we played that a little bit and just found it really exhausting <laughs> even then, you know. The, continues to this day, like, people playing the Wii and everything. I, I just rather... And I'm not a lazy guy. I'm not a slob or anything like that. But if I'm going to play video games, I just want to kind of sit there and play. Or at the worst, kind of stand next to an arcade machine and play. I don't want to be flailing arms around, running, jumping, doing Wii Fit, or any garbage like that. So that one never really flew with me. We used to get tired, and then we'd get down on our, our knees and then just start smacking the, the pads with our hands. Well, if you're going to do that, like, what's the point? Just use a controller, right? And another thing, that same friend, again, he, uh, in retrospect, he was, his parents were pretty, uh, pretty Johnny on the spot with the gifts. Uh, I remember he, he also got the uh, Power Glove. And I, at the time, that was kind of a mysterious thing. I mean, of course, it was infamously and shamelessly advertised in The Wizard, that movie, which was a big Nintendo commercial with Fred Savage and, um, Jenny Lewis. Which I don't know if you know this, but Jenny Lewis, the the redhead girl in that in the Wizard, she actually went on to become a pretty successful uh, rock musician. She's, I think she has some soul albums. She's in. She's also leads a band called uh, Rilo Kylie. It's kind of indie pop style music it's actually it's pretty good i i like a lot of indie music um so it, it's kind of my style not directly my style but there there are certain things in it i've heard and it's pretty good it's not my favorite but um i thought that was interesting that she was in the wizard and then she went on to be uh she's still she's still doing it now um still playing never got really big like famous or anything like that probably one of those like just under the radar types but she must have a pretty 
decent following if she's been able to do it for so long. But anyway, the Power Glove uh, was pimped out in that in that movie, and um, I'd seen. I don't know if I saw TV commercials, or I definitely probably saw it when I was leafing through game magazines at the uh, at the store. You know, when you, you go into the store and there's the racks of magazines, and you. I used to go in there all the time and just pull the magazines off the shelf and leaf through them. Like I didn't have the four bucks or whatever to buy the magazine. I'd just go in there and uh, at regular interval intervals and pull the video game magazines off the shelf and leaf through and read the articles and everything. And the every time the the clerk behind the counter would say, "Excuse me, this is isn't a library. Either buy it or put it back." And it's like how many times I heard that line this isn't a library I used to get so irritated by that but in retrospect yeah I uh I can see their point now if I were the owner of that store I'd be saying this isn't a library as an adult anyway so he comes to school and says yeah I got the power glove I mean, of course you do you have everything we go over there and that thing was <laughs> what a disappointment um, you know gotta applaud them for whoever I can't even remember who manufactured that thing was it Mattel or uh, I think it was some company that ended up licensing it to Nintendo I can't remember but you know hand it to them for the creativity that's a interesting idea but the whole idea of trying to take games that are already designed with a certain controller in mind and then be able to come in with this fancy, weird controller that's completely different and expect that you're going to be able to play these games in a way that doesn't suck. I mean, if you really think about that, um, why would I play Super Mario I still remember playing Super Mario Brothers where you kind of hold your you extend your arm out in front of you and to make Mario run to uh, to the right you kind of sway your or tilt your wrist to the right make him go left kind of tilt your, rotate your wrist and tilt it to the left and then if I recall correctly to jump you kind of bend your thumb and I think to throw fireballs when you were uh, when you get the that uh, flower thing, I think you kind of uh, crank your index finger almost like you're pulling a trigger. It's just goofy. Like it would be one thing if it worked. I mean, let, let's start there. If it actually worked, <laughs> you know. I rotate my wrist this way and that, and Mario is doing what I say. I bend my thumb, he jumps. I pull my trigger finger, he shoots. If it actually worked, yeah, you might have something. But it... I would be lying if I said it worked. I mean, yeah, there'd be little spans of time where you could kind of convince yourself that it was working. But if you could clear the first screen, or maybe the second screen on Super Mario Brothers or that thing... You're a rock star. And I remember, I think there was a commercial that kind of showed somebody playing 
Mike Tyson's punch out with it. So that, you know, in a little kid's mind, that's going to seem like a cool idea, right? So you got this glove, like a boxing glove, right? And you're throwing punches, your little Mac, and you're taking down Bald Bull. But you try it, and it's just, nah. Give me that, give me the damn D-pad back. That's better. And I have these weird antenna radio things. I don't know, it was like a, like a, um, L-shaped bracket thing you got to hang on your TV. I think that was how it triangulated the position of the of the glove. Definitely a precursor to like motion controls, like Wii and all that. But it just wasn't there. I, I'm surprised they even took that thing to market because I mean they must have play tested it, right? Or maybe they didn't. It just very disappointing. It just didn't work. Um, now I'm just gonna hit pause here for a second because I've got to put a another log on the fire one moment here and we're back I hope I don't regret doing that um, it rained earlier today and I think some of the wood might have got a little bit damp and now it's smoking oh, great anyway we'll work with it I'll try not to hack too much into the microphone here Another thing I remember was right around, you know, getting near the the end of the NES lifespan, at least the, the end of our duration with it, they had that four-player peripheral thing. I think there were, for some reason, I think there were two versions of it. One was called the Satellite, and the other one was called the Four Score. It allowed you to, instead of just two players, you could it, it was like a, a multi-tapper to allow you to plug in four controllers so you could play four player simultaneous stuff and only d dabbled with that a little bit I remember we played um, what's that game called Iron Man Stewart Super Offroad actually I'm not sure if it was called Iron Man Stewart on the NES it might have been just called Super Offroad but it's that game where it's based on an arcade game you uh, it's kind of like almost like RC Pro One but it's supposed to be real trucks instead of remote control cars, and it's you're on these off-road courses, and it's kind of like an old fixed screen, like overhead thing, not overhead, but kind of three-quarter view, and so you can see the trucks kind of jumping over hills, and and you have a nitro, they called it, so it would give you like a quick burst of speed, and you you power up your trucks with uh, better tires and. Uh, more powerful engine and things like that. Really loved that game back then, but now I, even the uh, arcade version, it just, oh my god, one of those games is just best left in the past. I think it's pretty terrible. And another one I remember playing was um, Kings of the Beach. It was a volleyball game. I thought that was really cool. Like, two-on-two -two volleyball, you're playing four players. Um... I remember playing that in my basement with my brother and some friends. Really enjoyed that one. But those are the only two games I remember playing, four players. I think there's a, a short list of them. There's probably about, I don't know, somewhere between 10 and 20 games that took advantage of that peripheral. Maybe 25. I don't know. Not that many, but certainly more than I tried. Cool idea, but it came, it came pretty late in the life cycle for the of the system for us. Thank you.
So maybe now I'll go through some games that... These are going to be completely random. They're just games from my experience. I'm not. This isn't like a top ten list or anything. I mean, the, the games I'm going to talk about aren't necessarily... I'm not making necessarily making a comment on how much I do or do not like the game. I'm just These are just kind of highlights I remember from those days. Um, some of the games I, I, I dug into. Uh, the first one on the list here is... I wrote some down here. Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Um, all I got to say is 007-373-5963. That's right. That is, uh, I'm sure uh, most of you listening would know that what that means. That's, of course, the, the code that allows you to go directly to Mike Tyson. And I remember, like, in the pre-internet days, hearing about that code on the, in the schoolyard. I remember playing the game for a long time before ever hearing about that code. Like, how that's possible and, like, thinking about now is, is crazy, right? Because we're just so used to, you know, YouTube and, and forums and uh, databases all over the Internet that, that, that provide this information, like... You can get it anywhere, any place, anytime. It's right there, easy to find. But then it played the game for quite a while before ever knowing that code. And I remember when I heard about it, I thought, no way. There's no way that I'm just going to be able to take that code and put it in my game and it's going to work. I, in my mind, I thought, surely there's there's going to be a different version of the code for every cartridge. Now, that's kind of absurd to think about now because it's it's the same program on every cartridge, but I remember thinking that. Um, but I never really relied on that code. I, I beat that game legit. Um, I still remember it was one of the first games that I played on NES before we got one. Um, my cousin had it, and I and also uh, my spoiled buddy there that I was talking about, he had it as well, and I absolutely loved it, so it was when, when we got the uh, console, that was one of the first games I wanted to add to the collection. Eventually got it somehow, I can't remember how, but so it played that, um, to have my own copy of it was really exciting. And um, really dug into that game, and it didn't really take me very long to finish it. Um, I remember, I still remember the exact day that I, that, I, that I finished the game for the first time, when I first beat Mike Tyson. And it was, and the only reason I remember this is because it fell on the day of my brother's um, eighth grade graduation. So him and I were kind of in an unspoken competition to see who was going to uh, beat Mike Tyson first. I mean, I don't think we were actively talking smack to each other, but it, it was pretty obvious that both of us wanted to be the first to do it. And he was usually the one who would win battles like that. <laughs> But he was out at his grade 8 graduation after party, so they had the graduation in there. Um, I went with my family to watch him, you know, get his, you know, the ceremony they have in the school gym and all that. And then when that was done, I came home with uh, my parents and sister, and he went to the, the dance that was afterwards, right? So he was out and hanging out with friends and at this dance or whatever. And so I was downstairs by myself that night, 
um, playing Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. And that was the night that I finally beat Mike Tyson. And it's kind of disappointing because, well, I was glad that it happened, but I, I, I finally saw Mario come out and say, TKO, right? And I and just jumped up out of my chair. I'm like, yes, and look around, and it's, it's an empty basement. No one there to share it with. and um, But it was cool. Uh, I My brother, I guess, just had to take my word for it when he got home that I'd, that I'd uh, beat him to the punch, so to speak, on um, taking out Mike Tyson. That was a cool memory for me. And uh, I remember I mentioned earlier looking through photo albums and I, that, that had that picture of... Um, me on my birthday when I got the NES. Well, in that same photo album, there's there was a picture that was taken of my family and I and my brother at the at that graduation ceremony. So we're all out in front of the school, and it, it just occurred to me when I looked at that picture, I'm like, hmm. So that was a few hours before Mike Tyson hit the pavement. <laughs> oh, I'm such a nerd. That was a that was a cool memory though. <clears throat> um. Of course, Super Mario Brothers, right? That's another one. Everyone played it. I mean, do we really need to talk about this? You know what? It, it's a. I will never take anything away from Super Mario Brothers in terms of its significance and everything. And I, I really enjoyed the game. I played it a lot. But I do remember at the time getting annoyed that that was all anybody wanted to play. It just got on my nerves. Like, we would have... We didn't have that many games at first, like maybe so maybe we have four between five and ten games somewhere in there. And then when people would come over, it's like, let's play Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers. It just drove me crazy. Even though I liked the game, I was so tired of everybody being obsessed with Super Mario Brothers when we had other games that I thought were a lot cooler. Um But yeah, I mean everyone plays through Super Mario Brothers and I don't think to this day I've ever played it through um, every screen. I mean, I follow the warp zones and the well-known warp zones and all that and uh, get through the game. But again, that's it, it, kind of a testament to, like, back then, it, it just, in my mind, it didn't matter that I used warp zones. The warp zones are in the game. I'm using things that are in the game. I'm not cheating. I get to the end and I beat the game. That's the goal, right? To beat the game. The goal isn't, I want to see every screen. The goal isn't, I want to play through every screen in one sitting. I mean, well, maybe some people thought that. But by and large, that was just not what people talked about. People wanted to finish the game, and I finished the game. Um, my The way my mindset works now, I would be not be satisfied unless I've played every screen and beat it. But, I mean, I just don't have the time to practice a game like that and, and dig into it, so that's just not going to happen. But at the time, I didn't care. Warp Zones. Super Mario Bros. 2 got that shortly after it came out. And um, it's a, as everyone knows, it's kind of a controversial, not controversial, but um, there's mixed reviews on it. Um, it, it's an outlier in the Super Mario Brothers kind of series. It's because it's very different. The gameplay mechanics are different. The graphics are different. The a lot of the uh, enemy characters are different. It's kind of a different universe. 
And that's largely because it wasn't originally a Super Mario Brothers game. I mean, everyone knows that story. It used to be... Um, there was some other game um, called Doki Doki Panic that was rebranded a Mario game because the Super Mario Brothers 2 that they were... Um, they had developed and that they released in Japan, Nintendo of America saw the game and they thought it was too much too much of the same. It was too much it was difficult and it was too much like the first game. So they're like, no, we're not releasing this. Give us something else. And so they took this Doki Doki Panic game, uh, reskinned it as a Mario game and released it. I mean I mean they probably did some other tweaks as well, but that's the, the short version of the story. And um for me, I it, it's it, it's probably my favorite Super Mario Brothers game, to be honest. I know you're probably thinking, "Oh, you got to be contrarian." Or no, I mean, I, I don't think that's it. I just maybe it's nostalgia. I don't know, but I, I just really, really like that game. In fact, I, I a couple months ago I um, played through it uh, in, in emulation because I wanted to, I wanted to play again, just like the the first Super Mario Brothers game. I. I was satisfied beating that game as quickly as possible using the warp zones and, and the little, little tricks and all that. And then I was fine. I was happy with it. But a couple months ago, I thought, you know what? I'm going to... I want to see every screen in Super Mario Bros. 2. Now, I'm not going to devote the time to, you know, give it a try, and then when I die, start over again, and keep trying and trying and trying until I get all the way through it. I'm just, there's just no way I'm making time to do something like that. So what I did was the cheesy method the cheesy modern-day method of playing it on emulation and uh, using save states. And um, and I did it not to say it was any kind of achievement, because it's certainly not when you can start over from wherever you want as many times as you want. But it was just cool to kind of finally, after all these years, play through every screen, and I did that. Um, because it's my probably my favorite Mario game. Then there's Super Mario Bros. 3. Excellent game. Um, it deserves all the accolades that get heaped on it, for sure. Um, holds up really, really well today. Um, still play it with my wife every now and then. She likes it. Um, and if we're going to play... If she's going to humor me with some retro gaming, and then that's one of the games she likes to play. So I can still enjoy that game. Um, haven't, I, again, I, I use the warps and the whistles and, and whatever, and those tricks to get, get to the end of that one. Um, and maybe someday I will try to beat every screen on that one as well. Um, what else we got here? Um, oh, Ninja Gaiden. That was um, this is this was a landmark game as well um, for me. I remember uh, this kid that lived up the street. I, I went over there one summer day. I still remember it was a bright sunny summer day um it was hot i was walked up the street to his house he was um he was on my baseball team at the time um and my dad was the coach and i guess we hung out a little bit outside of baseball so we're in his room and we're playing some games and he's got ninja gaiden and i'd heard about it um never played it before and so he puts it on and the the thing that stuck with me about that game was that was the first time I'm not saying it's the first game ever to do this maybe it is maybe it isn't I don't know but for me 
It's the first one I saw that had those cutscenes. You'd you know, you'd finish a screen and then the game would the screen would black out and then you'd see these big colorful kind of comic book style graphics on the screen and these characters coming out and talking and telling a story and it had this music and I thought that was I thought that was so cool at the time because I'd never seen anything like it and of course the the big colorful graphics were always graphics, graphics, graphics right? it's always a big allure to that and I remember playing that game there at his house and then walking home thinking wow my mind was blown like that was so cool it's kind of funny to think think about that now not only because those cutscenes are so rudimentary but cutscenes in general are such a pain in my you know what you know I just can't stand cutscenes one of the reasons why I can't play modern video games I just they drive me freaking crazy when you're in the middle of a game and then you gotta sit through this I just don't care I thought it was so amazing on Ninja Gaiden with these primitive you know um, still images basically um, and now they have these like big cinematic things um, and I, I just all it does is bother me but I eventually got a copy of that game for myself and um, I actually I know that game is extremely difficult and but I I did manage to beat that game I, I do remember that um, it's one of my more proud moments of of having the or of the NES days of beating that game legit, and again, uh, shortly after I played through Super Mario Brothers 2 recently using save states, I did the same thing with Ninja Gaiden. I played through the whole game again, start to finish. I, I use save states. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not, uh, you know, hadn't played it in what 20 something years, so um, or hadn't played it like uh, in depth in, the, in all those years. So it's not like I'm gonna try and relearn the game again just to to do it, but. Um, it was uh, it was fun. It was it's a challenging game. I remember, remember thinking when I was playing with save states, like man, must have been really patient to to do this game legit because it's it's tough and uh, kind of cheap and frustrating at times too. Um, oh yeah, one thing I forgot to mention I, I mentioned uh, Punch Out earlier. I told the story about the uh, the graduation night and all that, and I forgot to mention that. Um, that game, again, I, I revisited it. I, I've got a copy, uh, a physical copy for my actual NES. Uh, and a couple of years ago, maybe two, three years ago, I, I sat down, I'm like, I'm going to pour myself a beer. I'm like, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to play through this game. I haven't, I haven't tried to beat this game in, since the 80s. I'm going to see if I can dust off the old... Uh, boxing gloves and see if I can fight through this game again and um it only took me about three tries I'm not I'm not, uh, I'm not kidding I uh my third maybe fourth try I beat Mike Tyson again I was kind of surprised I was expecting like a big kind of slog like a frustrating like oh, try again try again try again but no I I guess it was in that sense kind of like riding a bike it only took a few tries and uh and took Tyson down again it was a good feeling. See ya, Tyson. Good night. Um, all right, what's next? Mega Man 2. 
Um, remember in Christmas, I don't know, 89 or 90, I can't remember, around there, my cousin got this game, and um, so we played it at Christmas, and it was, uh, I, I'd uh, seen the game in magazines, and it, it was kind of hyped up because of, it was pretty ambitious with the big colorful graphics and those giant sprites and all the different weapons and everything. It sounded really cool. I'd never played the original Mega Man, so Mega Man 2 was essentially the first Mega Man game for me. And we played it at that Christmas, and I absolutely loved it. So found a way to get my hands on my own copy eventually. I don't remember how, but ended up getting it. And, you know, played through that one. That game, I don't think, is that difficult. Um, I'd call it medium difficulty, I guess. It's it's maybe a little more difficult than Super Mario Brothers 1, but certainly it's no Ninja Gaiden, not even close. <clears throat> and um, so that was fun. I mean, you had to learn some tricks. I mean, after a while you learn what order to do the stages in. And, um, and again, I played through that game on save states about a year ago. Um, didn't even really need to use the save states that much because, again, I don't think that game is that hard. But very cool game. It's fun. The music, the soundtrack is outstanding. Um, it's kind of a, it's probably kind of like a famous soundtrack as far as retro games go. Um, every board has kind of a memorable tune to it. and um, It's just really, really cool. Um, an all-time great in my books. <clears throat> uh, next in the list Cobra Triangle um, I always bring up this game when I get the chance a lot of people have never heard of it it's uh, the the graphic style is kind of reminiscent of RC Pro-Am but you're in a boat and um, every every stage is kind of like a different mini game there's lots of variety to it and different weapons and um, I'm not going to sit here and explain the whole game. Um, just, if you if you like the NES and you've never played Cobra Triangle, check it out. It's um, And give it a chance. You know, until you kind of get the hang of it. Um, it's just, I thought it was a really, really fun game. I still play it every now and then. This was another game where my brother and I kind of had an unspoken competition on who was going to finish it first. And this is another one where I beat him to the punch. Uh, it has some really nice big, colorful bosses to beat and everything. Um, very cool. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the, uh, the first game. Um, this one, this is the one where you've got, you know, the, uh, overhead map, and then you, you enter doors, and then you, the screen gets bigger, and you, you can switch between the different turtles at will. Um, all four turtles are available, and they have the, the correct weapons. And, I don't know, it's just kind of a very basic scrolling um, hack and slash, um, at least late 80s style hack and slash. You know, some platforming to it, some exploration to it. But that game, it's not a linear game. And I, I, I did beat the game. I fought through it. Must have taken a while. Um, I know the game gets kind of a lot of flack for that screen where you're got the electric seaweed or whatever that stuff is. I, I don't, I don't remember that being that difficult. Uh, maybe it was. I, I, maybe I just don't remember. But I don't remember having that much trouble with that part. And uh, the game 
took a reasonable amount of time. I eventually got through it. And I remember enjoying it. I, I decided to try that game again recently, and I, I played it for five minutes. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to sit here and try and finish this game again. I just, I don't know where to go. I don't remember where to go. I don't feel like roaming around searching for stuff. I, I just, screw it. I'll just leave this one in the past. <laughs> um, I remember enjoying it then, but I, it's just not something I could play now. Um, and then there's, of course, I remember after playing that game on the NES, and then the, the arcade game, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came out, the, the famous beat-em-up game, which was a lot more like the cartoon. Um, and it's extremely popular to this day with a lot of people around my age. Um, I remember seeing that game and loving it at the time. And then I'd come home from the arcade and look at the, the NES Ninja Turtles game and go, man, I, I just... This game was okay, but it would be so much... You know what Nintendo should do is they should... They should make a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 and make it like the arcade game. So that was my idea, and they ended up doing that. <laughs> of course, just like my mom with the uh, rental business, uh, royalties were not forthcoming for me for having that idea. Um, maybe in the coming days I will be getting a check, um, but I'm not holding my breath. But I thought that was kind of funny um, how I, I thought of that, and then it was probably about several months to a year later and the game actually did come out. And that game is a pretty decent version for the NES hardware. I mean, it doesn't really compare to the arcade game, but it's a pretty decent version. Um, another one I remember is Metal Gear. Um, this is another, I, I keep using the term slog, <laughs> uh, because it's kind of like a... Only only a kid in the 80s could sit through a game like that. I mean, now now there's too many games to play. There's too many choices. Um, but when you're when you're a kid in the 80s and you've only got a small stack of games, and Metal Gear is one of them, then you're going to be a lot more inclined to fight through it. Now that one, I remember this neighborhood kid came over and and uh, that was the only game he had was Metal Gear. So he's got it in his in his hand and. He, and he's like, you know, we we probably had about 10, 15 games at the time. He's like, do you know, do you think you could trade me? I'll leave Metal Gear here and just let me... I can't remember which game he wanted to borrow. Um, I think it might have been some baseball game or something. I can't remember. But he's like, do you think you could let me borrow one of your games? I'll, you can you have Metal Gear. Here, I'll show you how it works. It's And he's like, he, he puts the game in and he starts playing it. And he's like, he's almost like a salesman. He's like trying to sell it to me. He's like, it's really neat. Like you... You explore, and it's got different, you know, you got to punch these dogs in the face. And this guy's sleeping here. I feel asleep. And it's got neat music. I don't know, he's like, he's just trying to sell it to me. And I'm like, look, man, all right, all right, all right. Like, he didn't, I just felt bad for him. I'm like, here, all right, I'll take Metal Gear. Here, take your game. <laughs> and we're trading back uh, next week. Have fun. So he leaves, he was all happy. But I thought, well, I've got the game. I'll play it. And um, at first, I, I, I played it, and I'm like, this... I think I was just about to say, no, this game, not playing it, no way. Then I probably, at that point, made a breakthrough, and I, you know, and then the game clicked. I'm like, oh, okay, so I made it somewhere. Now I'm hooked. Not hooked, but now I'm... Now I feel um, motivated to continue. And then I, I kept, I kept having those little... 
nudges, like just at the right time where I'm just going to, this game, screw it. But then I eventually got to a point where I was so invested in it, that, okay, now, even if it gets frustrating, I'm going to stick with it, I want to I want to play through this. And I, I remember enjoying it, and, um, and one of my favorite memories of that game was that friend I told you about earlier where he lived up the street and he had Ninja Glide in, he was on my baseball team, like I said. And I remember we were at baseball practice one summer night, and it was this park at the end of my parents' street, and I remember, you know, the sun's getting low on the sky. My dad was a coach. He's up at home plate and, like, hitting hitting grounders. And um, I'm I'm on shortstop, and this friend of mine is on is on third base, and we're fielding grounders. And so we're, we're kind of in close enough proximity to each other where we're able to kind of talk. And so while we're in the middle of baseball practice, we're, we're talking video games. And I... Uh, I brought up Metal Gear and how I was in the middle of, of playing it, and um, and he apparently had had the game and he'd he'd beaten it, um, had played through it, and so we were talking about different aspects of the game, and he was explaining to me um, how to get past certain spots, and then he'd step aside and field a grounder and throw it, and then he'd come back and we'd continue the conversation. And I remember I was right near the end of the game at that time, and he explained to me how to. There's this one trick he told me. I wish I could remember it better, but it's something like there's this one crazy screen where you got to maneuver your guy through these landmines or something really difficult, and you, you keep dying. But there's a way, a secret way to kind of bypass the screen and get right to the end. Like you go through a door, and while the screen is changing, you push to the right or something like that. I'm probably getting that wrong, but it was some secret trick like that that allows you to skip this difficult screen and get to the to the final screen, to the final boss or whatever. And um, I tried it, and sure enough, it worked. And um, I beat the game. So that was um, that was a cool experience. I, I liked it. I remember being glad I stuck with it at the time. I tried playing that game again recently, just when I was screwing around on emulators. I'm like, yeah, this is, there's no way I could try and fight through this game, this game again. I mean, there's a little tinge of nostalgia when you put it in you hear the music and the, you know the ambience of it and all that but that's about as far as I'm going with that nowadays um bad dudes remember we got this for for the Christmas where my cousin got Mega Man 2 he's got this glossy you know triple A title and we got bad dudes game is bloody terrible the arcade game it's like it took a bad port of a bad arcade game oh it's just awful like the if you want to play beat 'em ups, I mean, for me, beat 'em ups nowadays are questionable as it is. I mean, there's some really good ones like, you know, Streets of Rage series on the Genesis and all that, and some arcade ones. But I mean, a lot of them are really tough for me to play now. They're just tough to get into. And Bad Dudes is just ugh, there's very little technique. There's, the animations are cheesy. It's uh, I don't know. Um, it's just wasn't very good. But, you know, we had the game and we played it and played through it. And that's what you did, right? So I beat Bad Dudes as well. Contra. I mean, come on. Contra. Total classic. But, um, you know, the, the history of this game for me was I'd played it here and there. At a, a friend up the street had it. And um, for my birthday, actually it was probably probably the same birthday that uh, when I got the system, but like a, um, 
a little bit later when I was out of town visiting family. I got it as a gift from um, aunt or uncle or grandparents. I can't remember. And um, again, this was another one I, I saw in a photo album where everyone is kind of standing around. This particular gathering, it was out of town with family, and there were several people in the family have birthdays right around the same time. So that was the whole point of this gathering was they kind of use it as a means of marking a whole bunch of birthdays that happen right around the same time. So a whole bunch of different gift exchanging is going on and this and that sort of thing. And so we're, we're posing for pictures with everyone's got their new shirts on that they got and, and holding up gifts and everything. So there's me standing there holding up a Contra cartridge. And um, so my cousin and I, like, of course, as soon as that rigmarole is done, we're like, let's go down in the basement and play some Contra. And I kind of, you know, in retrospect, kind of regret this. But, you know, again, the mentality of, of being that kid and you just want to finish the game, right? So we go down there, and the first thing we do, of course, is enter in the Konami code. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, select, start for two players. And we've each got 30 lives. And uh, we basically beat the game on the first time playing it. So I get this great game as a gift. The first time we play it, I beat it. Cheating, of course, but... Um, but for some reason, I mean, I kind of regret that, but it doesn't really matter because that game still ended up playing it a lot. And it's still, despite the, the, the 30 men, uh, cheat, um, that game, it, for some reason wasn't ruined by that. It was, uh, it's just such a well-designed, really cool, fun game. It's the high watermark for that style of gameplay. Um, I like it better than most, even games that came out on later consoles. Uh, and I certainly, it's one of the rare, rare examples of me liking a home console port more than uh, the arcade original, because the arcade Contra, I mean, it's a good game, but I prefer the NES version. It, it just, for some reason, I just like it better. It plays better. It feels better for me, for some reason. Very cool game. Um, another one, Double Dragon. That's a uh, that's a game that's. I suppose you could argue I like this one better than the arcade as well. Well, no, maybe not. Frankly, nowadays I don't really like either. I mean, arcade Double Dragon is crap. Now, I mean, it was it's a classic game, but it's for me I can't play it now because the slowdown and I don't know. I think I've talked about this before. The NES version, it's a really good game, but it's it's they they changed it. I mean, there's some things different about it, like you have to earn the earn those hearts to unlock different moves and everything. I'm not really sure why they did that, but I don't know. It's a, it's a cool game. Um, I played it semi recently when I was traveling. I was on the airplane. I fired that game up on the on my tablet. I have a. USB Logitech controller that I carry around with me. It, it's, it holds up okay. I I like it. Um, not something I'm going to go back to terribly often, but it's a, it's a good game. And so those are some of the uh, games that I remember really devoting a lot of time to and actually completing um, on the original hardware back in the 80s. Another thing we did was we played... I'm not a much of a sports guy. I mean, I 
I've played baseball. I was pretty heavily into Little League when I was younger and all that. But other than that, oh, I did some track and field as well. But uh, in my later teens and in, in a, as an adult, uh, sports are really not much of a thing for me. I've played in, you know, some recreational leagues here and there, but not a huge sports guy. Uh, but did play a fair bit of sports uh, games on the NES. Um, played several baseball games. Tecmo Baseball was one we had, which isn't one I hear get talked about very much, but I think it's a really, really cool uh, NES baseball game. It's solid. I mean, there's nothing terribly special about it, but it's it's got good, in my opinion, good balance of, you know, um, the, the play mechanics and the the way the screen switch transition from the batter view to the field view. I think it, the game works well. And playing against the computer is reasonable difficulty. It's not too hard. It's not too easy. It's a, it's a fun game. Uh, we had a RBI baseball as well. There's several different RBI baseballs. I don't remember exactly which one we had, but that was, uh, again, along the lines of Tecmo Baseball, very similar uh, gameplay mechanics and controls. Um, I think RBI might have been... I'm not sure if I'm remembering this correctly, but I think it might have been the first game that actually had real player names in it. I don't know if it was actually authorized or not, but um, that was cool. Um, Baseball Stars, the SNK game, that was uh, really cool, and I never owned that myself, but I borrowed it from a friend at school, and it had... uh, It gave you the ability to make your own team, and it had um, a battery backup so you could save save your team and uh, save your progress and you could uh, you know create your team and you name every player so I, I made a baseball team that was all player uh, the, all the players were named after my classmates and I think I um, I think I named the team like after our teacher and uh, <laughs> it was that uh, was cool I, I enjoyed playing that game a lot it was it was kind of a the way I remember it anyway, it was kind of like a far-fetched game, like some weird stuff would happen. Like you'd get players that were really absurdly powerful or absurdly weak. So it, it kind of got lopsided in areas, but it was very interesting concept and ambitious and, and, and cool and different for the time. Um, and I, I played that game uh, about a year ago uh, on the emulator, and it still holds up okay. It's I, uh, I wouldn't mind devoting some time to playing that. If I if I was ever traveling and I needed a lot of time to kill, I might consider building a team on there and like playing it for quite a while to see how you know how well I could do with the team. I doubt that'll ever happen, but it would be it's cool to think about, right? All the things you want to do as an adult, but you just have better things to do. Like being a parent and paying mortgages and uh doing your taxes. Stuff like that. Yeah. Um, hockey. I mean, I mentioned earlier I'm Canadian. I, I don't like hockey. I don't. I know that's a stereotype, <laughs> Canadians and hockey. But I, I don't know a thing about it. I don't like it. I don't care. But I did really enjoy ice hockey on the NES. I mean, of course, it's the game. It's called ice hockey. Um. Very. Uh, simplistic gameplay and basic graphics but I thought it was cool 
like you pick the teams weren't NHL they were countries so you could be Canada USA Poland and etc and so on um, and you you have four guys on your team and they come in three different sizes skinny medium and fat and you can assign skinny medium or fat to each of your four guys you can for example you could say I want to be all fat guys I want to be all skinny guys I want to be all medium and the the skinny guys were quick but they're but they were kind of wimpy, and their shots weren't very strong. The fat guys were slow, but they were good in fights, and they were had a really powerful slap shot. And the medium guys were just kind of the, the Goldilocks of everything. So that was a really cool touch, I thought. And I, I still enjoy playing that game. Uh, my buddy and I actually were just playing it a couple of weeks ago. And it's a game where we, we play it and thoroughly enjoy it. It's not like you, you play two minutes, like, oh, I've had enough of this, and you turn it off. You know, you, you put it in, we play it. It's a really enjoy that one um same with blades of steel that was another hockey game on the nes completely different visually uh gameplay mechanics completely different from ice hockey um but, uh, it was it looked a lot better i guess the graphics were nicer it had a much cooler kind of uh fighting mechanic um but it was uh you know it maybe some would say as an age the best but i, I can still i play that semi recently as well and I think it holds up. Enjoy it. Still don't know what the hell the uh, announcer is saying when you pass. It's like a uh, it's been geez thirty years and I still don't know what he says, but something pass or, or something like that. Who knows? Doesn't matter doesn't mean the game isn't good. Um another Konami sports game, uh, Double Dribble. Really enjoyed that one. Uh it was um, kind of similar graphic style to Blades of Steel, um, and I don't know, just for for the NES, it's a it's a really solid, convincing basketball game, and of course it had that really cool, at least for the time, feature where you go up to the net and you jump, and it and it switches the screen to this close up animation of your guy doing a slam dunk, which it looks so cheesy now, but. Um, stuff like that back then was just mind blowing. It was so cool because the the big graphics were had this wow factor to them. Now it, it's just you you see it happening. You just you can't help but kind of chuckle. But it, it's cool. I can still play that game and have fun. Um, I think I've mentioned before I really like wrestling video games, and I played several on the NES. Pro wrestling was probably the uh, got the most time, and that's. That's, a, in my opinion, a classic. I I love that game. I mean, I don't like it as much now. Uh, it, it's I've kind of moved on from playing those types of games now. I I play them for a nostalgia kick every now and then, and and they in that sense they they do the job, and I can still have some fun playing it. But um, pro wrestling was definitely near the top on the system. Um, I also had one called WCW Wrestling, like World Championship Wrestling. It was all real wrestlers, but not WWF. It was like, well, I guess it was WCW. I don't know if that organization is still around, or I don't. I completely lost touch with wrestling a couple decades ago, so I don't know. But I did recognize some of the wrestlers uh, because at the time I kind of liked wrestling, and um, it was a cool game. I thought it was I thought it was pretty well done. I remember because I was so into wrestling games back then, I saw this game, it was um, 
for some reason it wasn't available in stores. I saw it, it was available, you could order it. It was in a video game magazine, I saw an ad for it. There was an order form, and you could order the game, and they'd mail it to you, but uh, it wasn't in stores. At least not at this time. Maybe it was, this was pre-ordering or something like that, but I saw it, and I had to have it, right? So, I remember this, I remember buying that magazine, taking it home, saying, Mom, i got to order this game. She's like, well, you've got your money, you can order it. I did have a little bit of money from um, delivering newspapers and things like that, so uh, not much money, but I did have some, and I did have enough to buy it. So I'm like, all right, I'm getting it. So I fill out the order form. I went to the bank and got a money order, so you had to... Um, they, they had this calculation form. Like you had to put shipping in, and it, I think there was an exchange rate because it was from... Um, I was ordering it into Canada from the U.S., and so I had to make sure I got all the math right. I did the, I went through it several times, and I made sure it got correct down to the penny. And by the time it was done, by the time, you know, the, the price of the game, the exchange rate, the, the shipping and handling, and blah, 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 blah. I remember, <laughs> I remember it being, I think it was $83. And I remember looking at that total, going, man, I mean, is it really worth this? But I just... Was so had so uh, was so invested in, in my mind into you know getting my hands on this game that I all right screw it I'm gonna I'm gonna buy it so I sent it away and it's remember it saying on the ad it'll take I think it said four to five weeks for delivery and of course I'm when four weeks to the day I'm checking the mailbox nothing actually I probably started checking at like three weeks and. So from three weeks on, every day I'm like, as soon as I see the ma- see the the mailman come uh, to the door, or as soon as I get home from school, ask my mom anything for me in the mail, anything for just. And this went on. I got to the point where I was pretty convinced I wasn't getting the game, uh, and eventually it showed up about 16 weeks after I ordered it. So, um, needless to say, I was happy to see that arrive and. Luckily, the game game ended up being pretty good. I mean, I don't think it's, you know, fondly remembered by very many. And a lot of people would probably think it sucked. But at the time, I enjoyed it. So whether I got 83 bucks worth, I don't know. But that was WCW. Uh, Tecmo World Wrestling is another one. Um, same sort of game. Uh, not It's not real wrestlers. It's all made-up guys. Uh, it's kind of takes the pro wrestling formula and maybe polishes it up a bit. It's a cool game. If you like old style wrestling games and you haven't tried that one, definitely check it out because it's probably one of the more polished ones on the NES. And <clears throat> there was also some games that maybe worth mentioning that are really kind of historic landmarks or really popular that I just never really got into. Uh, the first one that comes to mind is Zelda, like the Legend of Zelda stuff. Never cared. I just don't... I I don't know. Those those games where you're just roaming around. Uh, I, I know a lot of retro gamers and, and whatever, they just rave about these games like they're the best thing ever. I, I don't understand it myself. I'm not calling them wrong. I'm not saying the games are terrible. I just say for me, never got into it. Not my thing. Um, Metroid, same thing. I the, the whole 
idea of just not knowing where I'm going that drives me crazy. Like, it, I know some games you got to do a little bit of exploring, but 30 seconds of not knowing where I'm going, I'm already starting to get really annoyed. So I guess that's just maybe. It's not you, it's me. That sort of thing. Mega Man is a really fondly remembered series. And I mentioned earlier how I absolutely love Mega Man 2. But the thing is, that's the only one I ever really played. I mean, there was all those other ones. I think there's all the way up to Mega Man, what, 6? 7 maybe? 6 or 7 on the NES? I never played any of them except Mega Man 2 for some reason. I don't know why. Of course, I've tried a few of them in the meantime, like in, in emulation, and uh, they're cool. And maybe I should actually try and put an honest effort into playing through some of those now. Maybe that's something I should uh, um, put on the list of uh, gaming ideas that I can do when I'm traveling or whatever. Uh, Castlevania. Actually, I was just playing this game last night. Um... I played it back in the 80s. My fr- a friend of mine was obsessed with it. And I I didn't get it then, and I don't get it now. I, it, I guess, it, to me, it seems really slow and dull. Like, it's just not much to it to me. It's like, it's like Ninja Gaiden, almost, but slow. I mean, am I missing something? I, I don't know. Maybe I am. But I... I, I <laughs> was just goofing around last night um, playing some games in emulation and I uh, I just saw that game for some reason I just started playing it I don't know why I mean, it's okay but I I played it for several minutes and it was alright but I, I just don't get the rabid fan base for it I guess um, Disney games I know there's some handful of Disney games like DuckTales and things like that on the NES that you hear a lot of good things about, like at least they're well-designed games, but I never, I think for me, even at the time, I would I thought they were maybe, sounded like kiddie games or something, I don't know, never got into it. Um, I'm sure they're great quality, I don't know anything about them though, um, but I have heard, heard a lot of stuff about them, which is kind of odd when I think about it, because I did play, for some reason I didn't, wasn't worried about uh, uh, Castle Evolution starring Mickey Mouse on the Genesis being a kiddie game, and I got that much later. Weird. But that is definitely a kiddie game. I was playing that about two weeks ago. It's alright. Nice looking game, but uh, I feel a little weird playing it because it's like... I don't know. I feel like it's made for (laughs) five-year-olds. But who's kidding who? I mean... A lot of this stuff was made for five-year-olds and still enjoy it. No shame. Uh, Dr. Mario. That was a really popular game, like on the Game Boy and um, NES. There's an arcade version. And I, I never got into that one. Um, but you know what? I, I kind of turned a corner on this one in the last couple of years. My wife enjoys it, so maybe that helps. And that's a game we play against each other. She always cleans my clock when we play it. But um, it's uh, never played it uh, as a kid. Those are just some ones that kind of immediately come to mind that are. um, And there's there's 
lots of other kind of RPG style games that are have kind of cult followings. Um, but maybe not as much as Zelda, but or uh, you know, Dragon Quest, this and that. Again, those types of games, I just never had any use for them. Uh, just I found them tedious. Uh, I didn't have the patience for them. I don't know. Never got into any of that. doubt that the uh, NES I mean it was absolutely huge back then and um, everyone was into it there was almost like it was a a mini economy on the schoolyard playground surrounding NES like oh you got this game I'll trade you for this one you want to buy this one off me I remember my one buddy he would collect Nintendo games and then he'd ride his bike around the city and he'd be selling them to people and then he'd like put down payments on them, like here I'll give you five bucks now. Give me your game. I'll come and pay you the rest later. Then he'd take the game he just bought and he'd go sell it to someone else for a little bit more money. Then he'd go back to the first guy's house, pay him the balance they owed him, and keep the difference. And he'd keep doing that. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he'd make five five bucks uh, a cartridge. But I don't know. I kind of admired his. Uh, uh, motivation um, but just you know just like anything else with this stuff eventually the the system started to show its age I mean we in retrospect we got into it late I mean getting a console not even getting the console until 1989 that's kind of you know late to the party I guess uh, so we had it for year and a half two years and then started you know started getting stale and there's a, there are a couple things uh, behind that I mean the games are still good they're still putting out good games but there were two for us there were two kind of driving factors number one I think around the late 80s early 90s the, the rate of divergence of what you could get at the arcade versus what you could get on the NES I mean when we first got the console, there were several games where you could kind of fake it on the NES. Like, certainly Contra, uh, you know, Russian Attack, um, 1943. There's all kinds of games that were... You play them on the NES, and they're really solid versions. But then you start getting into the later 80s, early 90s, and then the big games in the arcade, you know, you play them on the NES, and the, the they're diverging more and more and more like the NES is falling farther and farther behind of what the state of the art in the arcade was I mean that's just it's not the platform's fault that's just the way things go right so that was a problem and then of course there was the Genesis was was out and they you know Sega had a marketing campaign you're seeing it in magazines you're seeing with the you know the promise of these filling that gap you know that 
that technology gap that you'd see with the NES not keeping up with the arcades, well, the Genesis steps in to fix that problem. So you've got ghouls and ghosts, and you've got golden axe. You've got these, you know, altered beasts. You've got these replicas of these cutting-edge arcade games. And so that kind of, you know, in that, in that kid's mindset, you want to you want the latest and greatest thing. And so, so we... Uh, I think by this time, the parents had grown tired of buying us consoles. So, like, look, guys, we're not going to stop you from buying it yourselves, but if you want that console, you're paying for it. So my brother and I pooled together our, our newspaper delivery money and whatever else we had, maybe some gift money from Grandma. And we uh, talked a... Uh, <laughs> a family friend who lived in the neighborhood um, into uh, driving us across the border into the U.S. because the, the price was lower. And we went to the store and, and bought the console, and smuggled it back into Canada, and that was it. That was the end of the NES for us. We had Genesis. Um, no idea at all what happened to the original NES console we had. I mean, just didn't care about that stuff back then. I mean, same with our Atari 2600. No idea what happened to that. 7800, no idea what happened to that. It's a shame. Especially when you come to be an adult and you end up rebuying this stuff. It'd be cool to have, just like everyone else, um, you know, some of us in this hobby are lucky enough to have had the foresight or the hoarding gene or whatever it is <laughs> responsible for for hanging on to that stu original stuff. Um, but we didn't do that. I don't know what happened to our console. But I did, it's interesting, I did have kind of a, a mini reunion with the NES in the uh, mid-90s when I was... This was after I'd kind of, you know, I'd got the Genesis and then kind of grew bored of that and kind of fell out of video games altogether. Then I went away to university and so I'm... In my first year engineering, um, this would have been 1996, I guess. So I'm sitting there in my dorm room, and I decided to get up and walk around a bit. And this guy on my floor, I remember he was like a big stoner. He was like a big, tall, heavy guy, like, dressed in all grungy clothes, and he was like a stoner. And he had his door open, and I walk by his room, and I look in, and he's playing uh, NES Ninja Turtles. I remember thinking, huh, I haven't seen that game in a while. And I, w I just walked in his room, and he turns around, and you could tell he seemed, like, really embarrassed that I walked in on him playing Nintendo. It was almost like that scene in Spaceballs, where Dark Helmet's playing with those dolls, and Colonel Sanders bursts in, and he's all embarrassed because he's playing with dolls. It kind of reminded me of that. But I mean, I would—I didn't—I thought it was—I didn't really think anything of it. I'm like, whatever. But then, coincidentally, my girlfriend at the time, she, uh, she, she tells me that her parents were digging through the crawl space and they'd found their old Nintendo. And I'm like, no way! Next time you come over, you got to bring that over. So. She brings over this Nintendo, and it, it just had one cartridge, but it was some kind of pirate, um, one of those, I don't know, it had like 150 games on it. It was obviously not a legit cartridge, it was some, probably some 
made in China pirate thing, but had a bunch of um, well-known games on it, like Super Mario Brothers and uh, Pac-Mania and, um, you know, a whole bunch of recognizable games. In a lot of cases, they had, like, bootleg titles, but the, the gameplay was the same. And so I set that up in my dorm, and I remember uh, sitting there, I'd finish doing my uh, slogging through my, you know, engineering uh, homework, which was, you know, was a lot of work in the first year, big adjustment. And I'd finish up for the night, and before I'd go to bed, I'd, um, I'd crack a beer and, and sit there and play some Nintendo, put my headphones on, and... Uh, I mentioned uh, Pac-Mania. I remember, for some reason, I don't know why, I remember playing that game in my dorm. And I, uh, Whenever I play that game now, like on my main cabinet, I think of playing that game in my dorm in uh, 1996. That didn't last long, though. That system, I had to give it back um, because they were... Uh, some, someone else in their family wanted it or something like that. But that was cool. I think that was kind of maybe a harbinger of things to come for me, like playing... Which, I mean, at the time, 96, I mean, uh, NES wasn't that old at the time, but it felt old when I was playing it. It felt like passe. But there I was playing, quote-unquote, retro games and enjoying it. So um, I guess maybe that was kind of a hint at what was to come. Um, as of today, I mean, the NES, where does it stand with me today? I, I enjoy the system. I, I'm not as rabid of a fan as a lot of... I mean, NES is, you, you know, you follow the online forums and YouTube or whatever, and it has its fanatical fans um, that just think it's, like, the absolute best thing ever. Um, I'm not calling those people wrong. I just, um, but for me, I, I have one. I enjoy it. Obviously, I'm talking about it for, what, over two hours now, probably? <laughs> So obviously I like it, obviously it's a special, you know, place in my past and all that, but I don't like it as much as um, the 2600. Like, it, it, the, it doesn't feel as, I don't feel like I identify as much with it as the 2600. Maybe because the 2600 was my first love, I don't know. But I think a big part of it is, as I've grown older and I've just fallen into this preference of liking to play arcade style games like I, I like playing I like games where I walk up play for 15 minutes or whatever see what kind of score I can get and that's it those are I mean those aren't the only games I like but that's predominantly what I enjoy and I just think maybe the Atari is more focused on that type of stuff and the NES is more focused on like just you know the the uh, games where you're just trying to finish them or you're continuing and, and this and that which those games are fun for a quick blast like I'll play um, uh, Bionic Commando for 15 minutes but I, I just I, I struggle to muster the motivation to really dig into one of those games and really play through it with, at least without save states so that you know, what you what you end up with is a bunch of games that you can only really just dabble with, and you never really get into anything. And that's kind of where I'm at with NES right now. I uh, 
I'm going to continue playing it. I'm going to continue enjoying it. But it, it's more of like a dalliance, I guess, than it is like a really jumping in there and tearing it apart like I do on my main cabinet and with the 2600 or whatever. Anyway, that's going to uh, wrap it up here for the NES discussions. I'm um, just checking the timer here. It looks like it's been almost two hours. And I don't know if you can hear that, but it sounds like it's starting to rain. My fire is burning low. My beer has been getting warm here because uh, I've been running my chops talking to you guys. So, uh, yeah, still tastes good. A little warm with the condensation dripping down the side of the glass here. With that, I'll sign off with my usual um, plea to you. May we all appreciate what we have today. And in our fleeting spare moments, may we fondly reflect upon our pixel-perfect past. Bye for now.